Take your Bible and go with us to Mark chapter 10. And listen, I hope that you will read Psalm 73 and make that maybe a part of your uh, weekly um, reading this week. It has been a tremendous help to me, and I hope that it was to you. This morning, my intent was to encourage you that in the day and age in which we live and all that's going on around us, that uh, things are not bleak for the child of God. Things are not falling apart. They're falling into place. And that we can look up and we can be excited about all that the Lord has for us. And that doesn't mean that everything that's happening around us is, is bad either. I'm amazed that in the middle of all the chaos that God drops little reminders that, yes, I am still in control. And, yes, I do put down and rise up leaders. I was just thinking... Uh, today, after a video that someone had sent me of, of the chaos even in our nation's capital in recent weeks of, at the house and just the, the mess, honestly, that is there without a speaker of the house and in a time when we desperately needed it and a situation that looks so bleak. And then we wake up one morning to a new speaker of the house who is a born-again believer, a, a Baptist minister or at least a, a, a bold witness for Christ, and I'm reminded God is still in control of all of this. And he is a very vocal, if you haven't uh, seen already, very vocal about his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and I thank the Lord for that. Well, tonight is, is again, as I mentioned this morning, going verse by verse through Scripture. You come to passages like tonight, and, and I pray that, um, that as we come to it, we, we honestly believe that all Scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, all Scripture is inspired by God and it is all profitable for instruction, correction, and righteousness. And so well, as we come to this tonight, it is the inspired Word of God and it is, it is obviously something that we need to talk about in our society. Jesus is coming to another teaching time with His disciples and the teaching is prompted by another attempt on the part of the Pharisees to trick Jesus, to trap Jesus up. And so far, remember, Jesus has taught them about humility. Jesus has taught them about the seriousness of sin. Jesus has taught them about hell. And now he teaches them a very important lesson about divorce. And this is one of those messages that depending on life experiences... Uh, people can sometimes turn you off from the very beginning or cut you off somewhere through the message. And I would pray that you not do that, but listen with, uh, with, with open hearts tonight and surrendered hearts to the Word of God. Because as Christians, listen, it should be our desire on every subject to know the heart of God and to obey His commands. I said it should be the heart of every Christian to desire to know what the heart of God is and to obey his commands. Amen. And regardless of what has happened in our own lives, this teaching is something that you and I should desire for our children, for our grandchildren. You want them to know this. We want the next generation of Faith Baptist Tabernacle to, to get this into their hearts and their minds. And I will say this, I am encouraged by the statistics and I don't know all the reasons behind it. But there is a decline in the divorce rate in the last uh, 10 to 15 years, and I'm thankful for that. Perhaps it's because uh, not as many people are getting married. I don't know. But the divorce rate is certainly going down. 
And let me just tell you, this has been one of the hardest weeks of study preparation for me that I've had in years um, to go through this because of the weight of it. And we have doctors in our church, and they perhaps understand this because each and every day they are diagnosing people, and there's a weight to get it right, right? And as a preacher, you feel that same weight. Every Sunday as you stand up and you open the Word of God, it is a heavy responsibility. And you come to subjects like this that are such weighty subjects and and subjects that have so many different thought processes, you want to make sure that you get it right. And therefore, we want to simply say what the Bible says tonight, and that is what we are going to do. Because in a congregation like ours, in any congregation today, there have been people here who have been married 50, 60 years And then there have been people who have gone through very difficult and hurtful and heartbreaking divorce. And let me just say from the outset that God loves neither of those more than the other. And and Christians who are divorced need not feel like second-class Christians because you aren't, nor should you realize that, uh, nor should you think that you cannot have great impact in the kingdom of God because of that, because you can And so if you're divorced, it's not my desire in the teaching of what Jesus says to shame you or to to minimize how complicated and how painful divorce can be. Instead, it's to look at the authority of Scripture, the authority of God's Word, and see what that means for us moving forward from where we are right now. We understand the brokenness of this world, and yet we also see our responsibility as Christians to be salt and light in this world. And the truth is that the the instructional manual has been written for marriage. It has been written by the one who who came up with marriage, who created marriage. And so we, we don't get to rewrite it just because of circumstances in our life and whether we like it or not we have to admit that there is a societal chaos in our culture that is in large part directly tied to the unwillingness of men and women of people to 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 obey the words of God to listen to the words of God and allow it to affect their lives it's important for us as the children of God that we do as Paul admonishes us in Romans 12:2 when he says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And Paul is saying very clearly that while living in this world, our engagement as Christians in the routines of life, they should be marked by holiness. Uh, they should be, be marked by obedience to God's word. Um, We have been set apart. We have been changed, the Bible says. We are different. And as a result of that difference that Christ has made, everything in our life then is is viewed not through a secular worldview or cultural worldview, but everything and every subject is viewed through a biblical worldview. And that means that no matter what we have experienced or what we have gone through, that the Bible is our absolute authority in faith and practice. I love what C.S. Lewis said about this. I believe in Christianity as I believe in the rising of the sun, not simply because I can see the sun, but because by it I can see everything else. And so 
our view should be very different from the world's view. And that is to be our perspective on the world, on everything. And here in this instance, on marriage itself, it is to be viewed in a very different way than our society views it. Our society views it very flippantly, and that is Jesus' point in the text, is that marriage should not be taken flippantly, and divorce should not be entered into flippantly. So to those that have been unscripturally divorced and remarried, let me say to you from the beginning that we all have things in our past that we wish were different, things that we have done that were against God's, law, God's word and God's law. We've been disobedient. And we don't waller in that. We, we don't allow it to set us back. Instead, we, we confess it and we uh, forsake it and we move on. We don't constantly rehearse the pain of those things because what that will do is render us ineffective for God and what God wants to do in and through our lives. And then let me say to those that, uh, that are married today, maybe you're contemplating divorce. It's hard. It's been difficult or maybe like Logan and Maddie back there, you're getting married this week. Let me encourage you to take this as it is very serious. This is the point of Jesus in this, this text. It is a serious thing to enter into marriage. And I pray that you will allow God's word to be your guide. And, and then to the single young people in here tonight who are thinking, what am I doing here? You're just trying to figure out where you're going to get to college and where your next meal is going to come from. But I want to encourage you to pay attention tonight because it is very, very important because you are now, right now, at your age, developing habits and, and, and attitudes and worldviews that will either contribute to a healthy marriage or an unhealthy marriage. So let's just jump in, all right? Verse number one, we're going to read down through verse number 12. Speaking of Jesus... He arose from thence and cometh into the coast of, of Judea by the farther side of Jordan. And the people resort unto him again, and as he was wont, he, he taught them again. And the Pharisees came to him and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? And he answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, for the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. And in the house, his disciples asked him again, of the same matter. And he saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. Father, as we come to your word tonight, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to deliver the truth in love and compassion. And Lord, we are sensitive to this subject and all those that are affected by it. We've all been affected by it. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to take the scripture tonight, to apply it to our lives moving forward. Lord, give us a heart that desires for the next generation to have even more committed marriages. 
than we've had, more healthy marriages. And I pray, Lord, that you would, you would burn this principle deep into our hearts. It is the position of our church because it is the position of your word. And we pray that you would speak to us tonight through it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. And listen, tonight there's a lot to cover in a shorter amount of time. And so I'm going to stay pretty close to my notes as we go through this. But I want you to understand from the very beginning, in every subject, don't we want to know how God feels about something? We want to know what does God feel, what is God's attitude, and, and God is not vague when it comes to divorce. There's some subjects, and, and, and he's not real just blatant about those things, but when it comes to divorce, he is very clear. In Malachi chapter 2 and verse 16, in the context of marriage, it says this, For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. In other words, God is saying, I hate divorce, and we know from Scripture that that is the attitude of God, that he hates divorce. And in spite of the fact that God hates divorce, here we are 400 years after Malachi, after Malachi, and Jesus arrives in the world, and he comes to a Judaism that has a highly developed tolerance for divorce in spite of what the Old Testament said. So a flippant attitude towards divorce is not anything new. It was happening in the Old Testament. It was happening in the New Testament. And there still is somewhat that attitude today. In fact, Judaism had developed a system of divorce in which a man could divorce his wife for just about anything, including not cooking a good meal. This was in the writing. And here Jesus addresses this issue because he wants his apostles, he wants his disciples. And some of you wives are looking at each other thinking, I would be in trouble if that were the case today. I see you out there laughing. But he's teaching the, the apostles and the disciples this, saying this is, this is important. You need to know the right teaching. You need to have the right attitude toward divorce. And the same for us. And listen, we know the evil intent of the Pharisees here. While the crowds were coming to Jesus to listen to Jesus, here they are again, the Pharisees coming after Jesus. And this is not a sincere question. This is, this is a setup. And I want you to understand the scene around them. They, they wanted Jesus to say something that would alienate him from the people. And since divorce was popular among the leaders and thus the people and especially the men, then if they could get Jesus to condemn those who had been divorced, then it would alienate him from the people. And also, most likely, the Pharisees are trying to stir things up again by getting Jesus in trouble with King Herod. Because you remember that Jesus has left the Galilean region. He is now on his way to Jerusalem, and he is here in the region where King Herod is. Now, how many of you remember the history of King Herod? King Herod was a man who had divorced his wife so that he could marry his brother's wife. And when John the Baptist, the bold preacher, approached him about it and condemned it from Scripture, then King Herod had him arrested and eventually beheaded. And so here is Jesus in the same region being questioned about his views on what? Divorce. So Jesus directs them back to the law of Moses. What did Moses command you? 
And their answer in verse number four, maybe you want to put out beside that, Deuteronomy chapter 24, because that is where Moses gave some instructions on divorce, specifically to the Jewish people who, again, were very flippant in their attitude and their actions of divorce. And there's really two things there that Moses, Moses said. If a man divorces his wife, he had to give her a legal certificate allowing her the legal freedom to remarry. And secondly, that if a man divorces his wife and she marries someone else and he either dies or he divorces her, that the original husband just can't take her back as his wife. And when you read that, what you need to understand is that Moses was not recommending divorce. He was regulating divorce. In a culture where men had all the social power, Moses tries to regulate divorce in a way that would cause it to be taken seriously. He does it to protect women who were completely dependent upon their husbands. And by the time of Jesus... There now is two very different views in Judaism that went back to these laws from Moses. And much like today, there was a very liberal view and there was a very conservative view. And the the liberal view would basically say that you were permitted to divorce for basically any and every reason. And the other group was far more conservative and strict when it came to the issues of divorce. So these, these Pharisees come and they try to trap him. And then Jesus goes on to point out that it was on account of the hardness of the people's hearts that Moses wrote the law. Because they had hardened hearts by uh, hardened hearts to God's purposes and God's plans. Because they were unwilling to accept the nature of love within the framework of, of a covenant marriage that God had intended. Because their, their primary interest was in seeing how far they could go or what they could get away with and still remain within the letter of the law. Moses responded in that way, and it sounds a lot like the culture in which we live and the society in which we live today, and especially, I would say, over the last 60 years in the United States. And Brother David Crow could speak on this more intelligently than I could, but we've seen the flippant attitude in our own country that has developed, it's not the same attitude that you would have seen 100 years ago. It's a very different attitude. Statistics tell us this, that 41% of all first marriages in the United States end in divorce. 41% of all first marriages. 60% of second marriages end in divorce. And 73% of third marriages end in divorce. So in responding to the question posed to him by the Pharisees here in Mark chapter 10, is it lawful for a man to to divorce his wife? Jesus takes these religious leaders back to the first principles. He doesn't just stop with Moses. Where does he go? All the way back to Genesis, all the way back to the creation of man and woman and of marriage. And he makes this very clear to them that marriage is not a human invention. Let me say that again. Marriage is not a human invention. It is a creation ordinance given and made by God himself. And God is concerned about marriage because it's built into the very fabric of humanity. It's built into the very fabric of his creation. And so it is very important to him. And we're not going to have the time or take the time this evening to go into all that 
that is God's design for marriage from Scripture, scattered from Genesis to Revelation. But let me just summarize it in these three statements. That God's design for marriage, first of all, is that it is heterosexual. That it is between a man and a woman. And he makes that clear in the passage. He also makes it clear that it is monogamous. It is with one person and also that it is lifelong, that it is permanent. This is the design of God, and it is what we should teach our children and our grandchildren and the next generation of Faith Baptist Tabernacle. This is God's design for marriage. It is heterosexual, it is monogamous, and it is lifelong. And what this means is that God designed sexual intimacy to remain within the context of marriage as he defined it. And I will also add that for a believer, we see in 2 Corinthians chapter number 6, that the Bible makes it clear that marriage should only be with someone else who is a Christian, is a believer. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Certainly that could apply to other things, but... Is there anything, any yoking that is more um, divine than the marriage bond? In other words, missionary dating is unscriptural. I'll take them to church and hope they get saved. The parallel passage to Mark 10 is, is Matthew chapter 19. So I want to direct you there, Matthew 19. Matthew tells us in his account that the disciples' response to Jesus's words here in Matthew 19 10 it says his disciples say unto him if the case of the man be so with his wife if what you say about marriage is true it is not good to marry <laughs> no amens there all right in other words they're saying it's serious it's serious and perhaps it's better just to stay single than to enter into something that is so weighty, enter into it carefully is what he's saying. Then back in Mark's gospel was Jesus' very clear response. Jesus says that anyone who divorces their spouse and marries another person commits adultery. Now, we're going to get into this further in just a moment, but let me just say that I think that it is very important that when we read the, Bibles, the, the Bible and we come to places like this and, and what we might consider hard teachings, that we don't just try to rush through it or, or find a way around it, but that we sit on it for just a moment, that we, we let it sink in, that we sit on the seriousness of it, and we think about the bold simplicity that is giving here before we immediately begin to reach for clarif clarifying passages in the Bible. You see, Jesus understood that the stability of our society and that the security of family living and that the enjoyment of relationships within a marriage was directly tied to the institution of marriage being upheld according to God's design and God's word. So when the Creator's clear statements are rejected by people, there's ramifications, there's consequences which follows. Why does God hate divorce? God hates divorce because of the sinful causes that are in people's lives that cause divorce. And he hates it because of the, the consequences of divorce. And listen, we all know this by some type of personal experience that the consequences of it are, are widespread. 
does not just affect that man and that woman. It affects many other people. And so because of that, God does hate hate it. So our first concern in coming to a passage like this is not to move quickly past it, but it is allow the passage to say what it says without trying to soften the blow of it. Let it, let, let it sink in a little bit, what he's saying here. Our first responsibility is to be about the business. Listen, our first responsibility is to be about the business of sustaining marriage as God designed it rather than seeking to dismantle it according to our own human desires or the definition of our society. Well, let it sit there for a minute. Let the weightiness, weightiness, weightiness of it sink in. But it is clear that we must always interpret Scripture with Scripture. And so what, what Mark and Luke presume, remember the Gospels are all written in a, in a, in a chord, so we, we look at Mark's account and Matthew's account and Luke's account of this. In Matthew's account, there is a detail given that, that Mark does not give here. So I, I bring you to that reference. Mark, Matthew chapter 19 and verse number 9. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, and then Matthew gives this, except it be for fornication. So he gives an exception to this. And shall marry another, commits adultery, and whoso marries her which is put away doth commit adultery. So we see then in the New Testament that divorce was permitted on account of sexual immorality. Why? Because the one flesh union has now been violated. That which God has said to take place within a monogamous, heterosexual, lifelong companionship has now been violated. And so that that marital unfaithfulness, that immorality made divorce, and here's an important word, permissible. All right? Permissible. Permissible does not mean prescribed. It doesn't mean that you have to. It is something that is permitted. And I would say this, that in marital breakdown, due to adultery, due to unfaithfulness, our first concern must always be with with the heart, with repentance, with forgiveness, with restoration, and with reconciliation. And I say as, as a pastor, and according to the scriptures, that that should be our first goal in every marriage that is affected by immorality and unfaithfulness. And so because of that, it should not, divorce is not something that should be rushed into. Now in the New Testament, you only have one other exception that I see in my studies. And I'll point it out briefly because we covered this when we went through on Wednesday nights a study of the epistle of 1 Corinthians. But it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And there Paul is making reference to the departure of an unbelieving uh, partner in marriage, all right? And I won't go into all the details of that, but basically people were getting saved and they had partners who were not saved. And so they're wondering if we're a new creature in Christ, do we start over completely? Do we divorce this person who is not saved? And Paul is clear under the inspiration of scripture that no, you, if you have an unbelieving partner, you ought to stay with them as long as they desire to stay with you. But it does give an exception here that if the un, un, uh, unsaved partner wants a divorce, they no longer want to be with you, that you can let them go in that context. And it's not super clear like it is here in Matthew 10 
that you can remarry, I would say, this is my personal opinion, that it would qualify as a scriptural divorce and that you could remarry, but there's different views on that, and it's not specifically laid out like it is here in Matthew chapter 19. So here's what you have so far. This, this categorical statement by Jesus here in Mark chapter 10, very clear, right? There's no way around it. It's a very clear statement. Then you have this definite exception in relationship to sexual immorality in Matthew chapter 19, where it is permissible but not prescribed. And then you have what I would say the assumed exception in relationship to the unbelieving spouse in 1 Corinthians 7 who no longer wants to be married to a believing person. Listen, the plain statement of Jesus is the plain statement of Jesus, and we cannot set aside the clarity with which he speaks. Whenever, here's a statement, whenever someone divorces their spouse without biblical grounds, then to remarry according to the text and according to the scripture is an act of adultery. It is impossible to read what Jesus is saying there any other way than what it says. Now, inevitably, in relationships to this question, there, there's all kinds of, of things that need to be talked about and considered, legitimate considerations that need to be dealt with individually. And I, and I don't have time to delve into all of them tonight, but there's some very toxic and very unhealthy situations. There are unsafe situations. And certainly, let me say this very clearly tonight on the record that if you are an abused partner, that you should not nor put your children in a situation where they are at risk for abuse. Please go find us, seek us out, and we will do our best to intervene. And there's many times, I will say this, where separation needs to happen. And those, those situations are difficult. And look, a large part of of what church leadership deals with in our society are these situations, are difficult situations that people are walking through considering separation and divorce in abusive situations, and we have to walk through those things carefully, and we have to address those things as the Bible calls us to address them. And sometimes there's good stories, and sometimes there's not so good stories. But we don't need to be in doubt as to what God's design is. And that's why I'm talking and why I've entitled the, the message tonight as I have, God's design. We don't need to be in doubt as to God's design. Again, it is monogamous, heterosexual, and it is permanent. It is lifelong. And we also don't need to be in doubt that we live in a broken world and that in our humanity, as the songwriter put it, we are prone to wonder, and we all fall short. Therefore, the Bible is also clear about this, that the grace of God is greater than any sin in our life. And we need to be careful about discounting or, or qualifying sins, rating them. But what we do know is that Jesus says this is a, a serious matter. This is not to be taken lightly. And I'm sure that that is one of the reasons that we have the story recorded for us in John chapter 8 of the woman who was taken in adultery. 
is that we might realize ourselves just how vulnerable each of us are. In fact, in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, when it talks about restoring a brother who has fallen, remember what it says, considering ourselves, lest we also be tempted or we be in that situation. In other words, we need to look at these situations not with pride and arrogance and condemnation, but we need to look at them with humility and compassion and a desire to see that person restored. That is the heart that God gives us. You know the story. What do you say, Jesus, about this woman who's caught in the act of adultery? Again, the Pharisees are trying to trip Jesus up, and Jesus bends down, and he writes on the ground. And we don't know what he writes. I'm looking forward to finding out what he wrote in the ground. But whatever he wrote caused all of her accusers, beginning from the oldest to the youngest, to go away quickly. And now it's just Jesus and her. And he says, where are your accusers? Does anyone condemn you? And, and she says to him, no, there's no condemners. There's no one to condemn me. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn thee. And do you remember his last statement to her? Then go and what? Sin no more. You are forgiven. This is not going to be held over your head. But from this point forward, go and sin no more. Don't enter into these kind of relationships. He puts that there for us for a reason because we, we find ourselves in situations where we know we've sinned and we know we've messed up and where there are accusers and condemning and, and the greatest accuser of the brethren is Satan himself constantly accusing us and beating us up and we need to constantly go back to Jesus' words. Go and sin no more. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. Let this affect you from here, from, from this point forward. And let me try to close. I want to address just this last question that that always comes up. And I, I think it's pretty clear. But if someone does not have scriptural reasons for divorce, and they divorce and remarry, committing, as the Bible says, adultery in that situation, does that mean that the new relationship is invalid or continuously sinful? I think that once that person has confessed, and repented and, and forsaken their, their sin, that it is done. And from that point forward, it is a marriage. It is an exclusive relationship between that man and that woman. It's a permanent relationship involving them both. Because think about it, a lot of first marriages happen because of sin as well, right? Does that mean they should just be thrown away because... Sin was the result of them. Neither should second marriages be thrown away because sin was the result of them. Like with all sin that we have, we're to repent, we're to confess, and we're to accept God's forgiveness because all of us have those things in our life. It all goes back to our attitude and our surrender and our repentance. And I will say this, at the same time, It is sinful and manipulative and deceitful to try to position yourselves into a situation that would easily allow you an escape out of a covenant marriage without true biblical grounds. Both of them are wrong. Or to flippantly say, well, I know it's wrong for me to do this, but I will just do it anyway, seek forgiveness for it, and move on. No, that is not the attitude of a true child of God that is repentant and walking in fellowship with God. It's not the attitude. This is not the attitude 
that God has towards divorce. It all goes back to our heart's attitude. God's grace not only redeems, but it restrains us, restrains us and it restores us. And I love what it says in Joel chapter 2. God's grace restores to us the years that the locusts have eaten. And, and we can identify with that. Or in Psalm, when David, after his sin, says that God restores unto us the joy of our salvation. How many of you are thankful tonight for the forgiveness of God? That our joy can be restored. But in this situation of divorce, we don't need to be silent about it. Because over 50% and maybe even more of our churches are filled with people who have experienced, experienced divorce, don't we want the next generation to have a high view of marriage as God designed it? Don't we want to save them from the heartbreak that we have experienced? From the heartbreak and the consequences of that? Then we must not be silent about it. We have to speak about it, and we have to say what God says about it. Now, in closing, I'm just going to give you the basic outline. I'm not going to preach it. I'm just going to give it to you from the text here. Verse number 6, first of all, and you can write it in your notes, marriage is designed to be exclusive. Notice what Jesus says as he goes back to the original design for marriage. He says, from the beginning, and I would mark those words, from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. It is exclusive. Or it is heterosexual. Secondly, marriage is designed to be disruptive. Verse number 7. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Brother Steve, these guys that took our daughters disrupted our lives, didn't they? But that's God's design. God's design is that they grow up and they be married. The third thing that he's clear about here is that marriage is designed to be unifying. It says, they twain shall be one flesh, so then they are no more twain but one flesh. Number four, marriage is designed to be permanent. Verse number nine, what therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. And then verses 11 and 12 simply teach us that divorce is devastating. And he saith unto them, whosoever shall put away his wife... And marry another commits adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she commits adultery. In Proverbs chapter 5, let me just close with this. Solomon gives a warning to his son about this. And young people, listen to this and write this proverb down somewhere because it's something you ought to go back to. Speaking to his son, he says, and let me read it quickly, but... Think about it, grasp it as we go through it. My son, attend unto my wisdom. Bow thine ear to my understanding. That thou mayest regard discretion and that thy lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb and her mouth is smoother than oil. But her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold on hell. Lest thou shouldest ponder the path of life, her ways are movable, that thou canst not know them. Hear me now, therefore, O ye children, and depart not from the words of my mouth. Remove thy ways far from her, and come not nigh the door of her house, lest thou give thine honor unto others, and thy years unto the cruel. I remember as a teenage boy, as I was challenged to read a, a proverb a day, I remember the impact of this proverb. I remember 
the vivid images in my mind of this warning to be careful. And certainly it could go both ways. Be careful, and I'm not going to go through the whole thing this evening, but be careful about what kind of person you seek out in marriage because it will impact the rest of your life. And that's why I say now to guard your hearts, to guard your minds, to have a scriptural worldview. When people ask you what you think about marriage, you ought to be able to give them those three things. It's between a man and a woman. It's with one partner, and it's lifelong. That is God's design for marriage. And so Solomon's words are both a warning on one hand and also an encouragement on the other hand to settle for nothing less than that which God has made for marriage. And it is a wonderful gift. He that findeth a wife findeth a great thing. And all the men in the house said, Amen. Amen.